if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And uh, we've been going through 1 Thessalonians. I counted this is probably the 10th sermon. So it takes a while, doesn't it? Even though it's a small book, it takes a while. If you want to try to get everything out of it, if you want to get those, how many of you like uh, when you go to McDonald's and you find that there's fries still back down in the bag? <laughs> you like those? <laughs> That's kind of what we're doing with 1 Thessalonians. Uh, we're trying to squeeze everything that we can out of it, so we're kind of slowed down here a little bit in chapter 5 to see what God has for us. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, does anyone know anything about Snap-on Tools? You guys like Snap-on Tools? Maybe? Kyle, do you like Snap-on Tools? They're overpriced, I agree. I agree. I actually used to make Snap-on tools, not me personally, but I, I used to work for Snap-on, and uh, so I, I was hired in to run the wastewater treatment plant, and so while it was running on automatic most of the time, I got the opportunity uh, to go out and see a lot of the other parts of the plant. So the wastewater treatment plant was under the lab, the quality assurance lab, and so we got to go out and see most parts of the plant and see what went, on, what went on in most parts of the plant. So I got to see the forge, you know, where they forged ratchets and, and sockets and where they, uh, you know, cooled them from that process. And then, you know, there was polishing operations that they had to go through uh, before they could even go to uh, heat treat. And then in heat treat, most of you know what that is. You, they heat the metal up to a certain temperature and then they quench it in oil, not water, but at Snap-on it was in oil. And that gives it a certain hardness uh, that you want. If it's too hard, the tool can be brittle and break. If it's too soft, it can dent real easy and lose its appearance. And of course, Snap-on tools are supposed to look really good. And so, and then after heat treat, you know, it goes to what they call burnish. And burnish is uh, it's really, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but the old rock tumblers that kids could buy, these were huge rock tumblers with many, many rocks in there, and you throw the tools in there, and they go round and round and round, and they get that, it's what gives them that real fine finish. And then from vibratory finish uh, or burnish department, they would go to the plating department, which I was supervisor over it, and that's where they put the nickel and chrome plating on it that really shines. And then from there, they go to quality assurance and then out through the door. Well, that, it, this is going to play a part in my sermon at one point. <laughs> because uh, this, the title of this sermon is The Fire is Still Hot. And I didn't want to entitle it, Do Not Quench the Holy Spirit. I wanted to emphasize that the Holy Spirit never loses his heat or his excitement or his boldness, right? But it is we who become dull to the Holy Spirit. And that's the danger for us today. So that's why this is entitled, The Fire is Still Hot. So if you've turned to the scripture, we're gonna go ahead and read that. We'll do a little bit of a review. But you guys got, it's so easy today. You got away from standing during the song. Casey, how could you let them do that? You, got, you let them get away with the song. So let's go ahead. And, Stand for the reading of God's word, which we always typically do just to honor God and honor his word. And we'll be reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 to 28, the rest of the chapter. Paul, speaking to this young church, he says, Do not quench the spirit. 
Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to look at your word today and discuss it and to see what it has in store for us. We know that it has meaning. We know that you have given your word meaning. And we do Bible study and we hear preaching like this in order to understand what the scripture says so that we can make application of that to our life. And you want us to become more like Jesus Christ and to display his glory among the nations. And so we pray that you would, in a small way today, help us to do that from these few verses, that they would be a blessing to us and that we could bless others. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we read this, read through this, we usually take it verse by verse, but we don't necessarily go in order. And we may not mention each and every verse in here, but we will understand that this is very important to Paul, right? This letter that he has written to them is very important. Look at the verse, I think it's verse uh, 27. We'll start toward the end, but he says there, I will put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. To me, that indicates that he believes that this letter is important. It's so important that he's putting these people under the oath and saying, you need to take this to everyone that you know and let them read this letter so that they can experience this good news as well. So whatever Paul has said to us in this letter, it's not only important for the ones it was written to, but it's important to us as well. So What have we found out so far in the book of 1 Thessalonians that is important for for us? First of all, the the Thessalonians was a church that Paul commended as being a model church. He congratulated them on their work of faith. In other words, they had a faith, but it wasn't a dead faith. It was an active faith. It was a faith that was working, working in their church and working in their community. We need to have that same kind of faith, amen? We need to have that same kind of faith. They also were commended for their labor of love. The work that they did was a work that they did in love for God and for the people whom he was speaking to. They also were a steadfast church and they had their hope in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's mad. (laughs) And so Paul challenges them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. If you understand that, he challenges them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That really kind of brings it home as to how important this is. And it, it... It almost brings me to my knees to think that we are commanded to do this, to walk in a way that is is worthy of the Lord. Think of the worthiness of Christ. 
the one who died on the cross for our sins, the one who was God the Son, who left his perfect home in heaven and came amongst us. He is the one who is worthy. And we are supposed to walk in a way that shows how worthy he is. And Paul encourages them that he is that they are his crown. In other words, when he goes to meet the Lord Jesus Christ, he's going to be able to present this church to the Lord and say, this is what I have done with what you have entrusted with me. He goes on and he says something that's very similar. We are to walk in a way as to please the Lord. Another high bar for us to set, right? And so we should not be just about our day not thinking about these things, but we should be thinking about these things. How can we walk in a way that is pleasing to the Lord? He says one of the ways to do that is to walk in holiness. We're going to talk some more about that in our later part of, our, uh, of this sermon, but we are to walk in holiness. We are also to walk in love. And Paul, I think, uses that word walk to indicate that we are to be in action. Amen? No, we're, not, we, we're big here about studying the Word of God. We, have, we study the Word of God on Sunday twice. We study it on Wednesday evening. We're studying it on Sunday evening. We love to study the Word of God, but unless we put it into action, it is really not love, right? It only becomes love when we put it into action. And so we are to walk in love. We're to walk properly before outsiders. In the midst of trials, this church had a great hope of knowing that Christ was going to return. Amen? <laughs> I mean, Paul tells them this. They're a little bit concerned that maybe they have already met, uh, they have already missed the rapture of the church. But Paul straightens them out and says, he has not come back yet, but you're to be ready for when he comes because he is going to come like a thief in the night. And so be ready. And I can tell you, each and every one of you here today, that we need to be ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. And I pray that the church will be ready. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, and we are to honor our leaders in the church. We're getting closer now to chapter 5. We're to test what they say. So for instance, I am preaching to you. Jake preached at Bogota last week. People hear the word that you speak, and you test it according to the word of God. And if it's so, then you hold fast to that and you follow the example of your leaders. And then last week we spoke, we spoke mostly about being ready for the hard work of the kingdom of God. We are to admonish those who are idle, we're to encourage the faint-hearted, we're to help the weak, to rejoice always, pray without seeking, give thanks in all circumstances. And so that's kind of a review of 1 Thessalonians. This love that Paul had for this church and he congratulated them because remember he only had a short period of time to spend with them and, and yet they got it. He, t he basically told them in the first few chapters, you guys are the real deal. You are real true believers in Christ. And he was very thankful for them. So today in the scripture that we have read, Paul prays that we as a church would be sanctified completely. Look at the verse in verse 23. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you may be here today and you've 
you've been around quite a bit and you've read your Bible and you know what the word sanctify means, but let's go through it just one more time. The word sanctified means literally to be set apart. Or it, may, it means to be made holy, which is what holy means. God is holy. He is separate from his creation. And he is perfectly good. And there is no sin in him, right? So once sin enters into our life, we can say that we are no longer holy. We are no longer sanctified. But Paul is praying for them that they would be sanctified completely. And so how do we kind of jive the Bible with what the Bible says about sanctification and what we see in actual practice? Well, first of all, you have to remember that being sanctified has two components. And if you understand this, sanctification becomes real clear. Sanctification in one aspect is our position as believers before the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's good news, by the way. We are perfect in the eyes of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so because of the blood of Christ and our belief and trust in him, we have been set apart as a possession for God. We are perfectly holy in God's eyes. It's as though God, he, of course, would not have to put on glasses, but he puts on the glasses of Jesus Christ and we as holy people, uh, sinful people, become holy in his eyes. This is a true holiness. It is our position in Christ. It never changes. Amen? It never changes based upon our performance or lack of performance. We know this because in 1 Corinthians, Paul starts out his letters to the 1 Corinthians and calls them the saints who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if you go through and you read the book of the book of 1 Corinthians, you know that in practice they are not always perfectly holy. They, they deal with a bunch of different issues in the church at Corinth. They deal with marriage. They deal with infidelity. They deal with lawsuits. And they deal with incest. And yet Paul calls them as saints, as holy ones, as those who have been sanctified. So I, I want you to understand this, that we have a position in Christ as being completely sanctified, set apart to God, perfectly holy in his eyes because of the righteousness of Christ. And that's the essence of the gospel, right? He went to the cross. He took upon our sins, upon himself. He paid the penalty in our place. And when we trust and believe in him, we gain his righteousness. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. That's wonderful news because otherwise we are left with our own sin. But believers in Christ have the righteousness of Christ. And that is what makes us positionally sanctified or positionally holy. But we also know from scripture and from our own examples that we do not live this out perfectly. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> we don't live that out perfectly. From the time we first become Christians, we struggle with sin. In fact, I would say that is a defining uh, principle of who a believer is, is someone who is struggling against sin. Unbelievers do not struggle against sin, but believers do struggle against sin. And I believe it is a long life struggle. 
It's a long life struggle against sin. And so as we place our faith in Jesus Christ, as we learn more about his word and learn more about what he has done for us, we gradually, we in steps, put on more and more sanctification. And even this is a gift from God, amen? It's, it's not by our own works. It's by the Holy Spirit working within us. And that's, that's what he's asking here today. He's asking the God of peace himself to sanctify you completely. Who will sanctify us completely? Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Who will sanctify you completely? God, right? It's a work of God in our life. He, he brings it about through this Holy Spirit that is within us, all believers. And so see those two different aspects. See our position in Christ is holy and we are sanctified. But see, as we live out life, we are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. We are becoming more and more sanctified. sanctified. And that's what Paul is praying for them here. They've already been positionally sanctified, but he's saying... Now, you become more like Jesus Christ and complete this sanctification. And we know that it will only be fully complete until we see Jesus, right? When we see him face to face, then we will be like him. But this is what Paul is praying for. It's a work of the Holy Spirit because it's the God of peace himself who will sanctify you and complete you. So is there any clues in our scripture today of how we grow in holiness? How do we grow in sanctification? If we, if we have this positional sanctification, it's complete. There's no need for growth there. Why, how do we grow in this effectual or I guess I would say um, this present holiness? Well, I think Paul gives us instructions. First of all, he says, do not quench the spirit. Do not quench the spirit. And this brings me back to my illustration about heat treating. Um, who is the Holy Spirit, first of all? He is, is he a mood? Is he a, an attitude that we have? No, you guys know that because I'm calling him he, right? Uh, this, the Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not a certain attitude that we have. It's not a, a particular mood or an atmosphere, but the Holy Spirit is a person, right? <laughs> he is a person. He is a person of what we call the Trinity. He is actually God. The Holy Spirit is God. Jesus is the Son of God, is God, and the Father is God. And yet there is just one God. That's the doctrine of the Trinity that we talk about. And sometimes we leave the Holy Spirit out and maybe don't give him uh, as much... Uh, time as maybe some people would think but the Holy Spirit's whole purpose is to point to Jesus Christ and go to, say go this direction right <laughs> so he's not one to take a lot of uh, attention for himself anyway but he points the way to Jesus Christ and when the Holy Spirit uh, comes into a, a person life he does that whenever a person receives Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and he comes to live in our heart and he comes to live in our heart forever. Amen. Yeah, that's a, bless, that's a blessed uh, thing that he comes to live in our life forever. 
So he is a person. We know that because the scripture talks about him being a he. Uh, it talks about him being a teacher, a comforter. Those are all names for a person. But he is also, as I just mentioned uh, in Ephesians, he's spoken of as a deposit guaranteeing our eventual salvation. Now, this is a wonderful thing that the Holy Spirit has given to us. And it shows that as we commit ourselves to Christ, God is just as committed to us. We should never, we should never remember that, that when we join with Christ, we are committing and surrendering our lives to him, but he is committing himself to us. And he, as a proof of that, he gives us a Holy Spirit, which according to scripture, is a guarantee of our eventual salvation. And so all through our Christian life, we have this Holy Spirit within us, teaching us, comforting us, telling us what God's will is, enlightening scripture to us. He is the one who empowers us to live the Christian life. Anyone tried to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit? Do it on your own? We all have, right? We all have at one time. We all at one time have wanted to try to take back the reins and do things on our own. And if you're like me, that probably did not go very well. It is, the, it is the Holy Spirit who has come upon us and given us power to live the Christian life. Jesus himself, he said, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. When he has come upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It is the Holy Spirit who empowers us to live the Christian life. But he's also there to purify the church. What is the picture that the New Testament gives us of Christ and his church? Anyone? There's several. There's more than one. Christ is the groom and the church is the bride, right? Church is the bride. And we are being prepared to be a bride that is suiting for him suited for him that is why he is purifying us he is taking out the sinful part of us and replacing it with the good and righteous part of him we must not we must always re remember that that's part of this sanctifying process that we're going through the holy spirit also reveals to us the meaning of god's word you ever remember reading the bible before you became a christian did it make a whole lot of sense it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. We can see that in our world today, for those who reject the teachings of the Bible, uh, they think it's crazy, they think it's old, it's outdated, it's a bunch of fables. We believe that the God, that the Bible uh, is true from start to finish. Um, but it's the Holy Spirit who reveals the meaning of God's word to us. Just for instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it tells us, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the Holy Spirit who makes this difference in our life. He illuminates the word that we might understand it. It's the Holy Spirit who unifies the church for service and worship. There is a unity that surpasses location, right? If we go to Bogota Church and have a service, we're in unity there. If we go to Olney Southern Baptist and have a service there, we're, we're united with those who are there. 
anywhere we find true believers, if we are in common with them, we find unity. And so we must not quench the Holy Spirit by rejecting his work and missing out on those benefits. And I titled this, The Fire is Still Hot, because it's not a problem with the Holy Spirit, amen? It's a problem with us moving away from God. It's, a pro it's, it's, it's as though in this heat treat process, uh, this oil is sin in the world and it gets in the way of us and the Holy Spirit. So we, are, we must not quench the Holy Spirit. Second way that we can grow in holiness is it says here, do not despise prophecies. Well, what in the world is he talking about here? Do not despise prophecies. Well, prophecies were given in the early New Testament times. Imagine yourself uh, shortly after Jesus uh, was crucified, maybe 10, 15 years after Jesus crucified, and you go and get your New Testament. Well, there is no New Testament, right? There is no New Testament until... A few years later than that, they started actually writing down the scriptures. But for 20, 30 years or so, the scriptures were passed verbally from one person to another. And people who were empowered by the Holy Spirit with the gift of prophecy would have a word come from God and they would preach that to the congregation. Now it's different now. We have a complete Bible and so I don't believe we have this gift of prophecy in the world anymore, but we do have faithful preachers who take God's word as it is and preaches it to the people. But here it says, do not despise prophecies. In other words, he's saying, what I think he's saying is go by the word of God, don't despise them, don't do as many people do and go by your feelings alone, right? We, we cannot always go by our feelings when determining what God's word is or what God's will is. How many times have we heard someone say, well, he's, he's the perfect person for me. I just feel so good about him and dating him. And then you ask them, well, is this person a Christian? And they say, well, no. And you say, well, have you read the Bible about what it says? Well, he, it just seems so right. It just seems so good. You see what I'm saying? We can be moved by feelings, and, and feelings are good when they're in line with God's word, but we must go by God's word. If it says a certain thing, then we must believe it and trust it. We must honor the word of God. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we must start out with the Bible. Our feelings come from that, but we trust the word of God and not our feelings. And I, I believe that's what's going on here. How can we also grow in holiness? Well, it says when you read the prophecies, hold fast what is good. You know, examine it, examine the scripture, test it, test it to see if it's in line with what you have been taught by your, the apostles in the New, New Testament times. That's the question they had to ask. What are the apostles preaching? And if it was in line with what the apostles were preaching, then hold fast to that. And my advice to you today is as you read God's word, hold fast to what God reveals to you and begin to implement that truth into your life. 
Most of us here have been Christians for quite a while, and it may be easy just to write off, well, I've done all of that. But he, he teaches us every day new things, right? If we are in the Word of God, he teaches us every, new things about our surroundings, about our character, if we look. We don't want to be hypocrites. We want to live the life in front of people in the same way when we're alone. And so this takes conscious, conscious efforts, folks. <laughs> it takes conscious efforts to hold fast to what is good. And really, ultimately, what it comes down to is not only knowing God's word, but meditating upon God's word until we believe it, not just up here, but in our heart. Because our heart is what's going to motivate us to be obedient to it. So hold fast to what is good. Implement things in your daily quiet time that will help keep you accountable to actually doing what the Word of God says. You know, most of us as Christians are pretty good about knocking out the bad things. You know, whether, whether we consider cigarette smoking bad or whether we consider drinking bad, we're pretty good about cutting those things out. Or maybe we don't gossip in front of the church, but maybe we do somewhere else. We're pretty good of not doing those things out front. But a verse that we had in James just a couple weeks ago really kind of hit the nail on the head because that verse says, whoever knows what is right to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Right? <laughs> so, so maybe we are kind of good about looking good in front of other people and we don't do the things at least in public but there's a whole list of things and i don't want to make this legalistic but there are many commandments that god gives us that are for our good there are things for us to do there's things for us not to do but then there's things for us to do he says if we don't do those things then we have sin just as though we were doing the negative things and so we don't want to we don't want to do that as well we want to uh, we want to be exactly how God wants us to be and how God's word and I'm what I'm telling you is that it takes a little bit of work on our part listen to this this verse here from Philippians it says therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now let me start over therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And the reason I like that verse is it shows God's part, but it shows our part. God calls us to be obedient to his word, but he is the one working within us through the Holy Spirit to empowering us to be able to do that. So this is not a legalistic religion. Christianity is not a legalistic religion which says you must do, 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 do to be saved. It's a done religion. Jesus Christ did everything required for our salvation and purchased it on the cross so that we can have the free gift of salvation. And part of that salvation is not only being saved from eternal torment but part of his sanctification or part of his salvation is this sanctifying work where we have the opportunity 
through the Holy Spirit to overcome the power of sin in our life. And so it's very important that we pay attention to this and give it our conscious effort to do that. Finally, how do we grow in holiness? I think this is one of the last one. It says to abstain from every form of evil. Wow. That's, that's loaded in our culture, isn't it? <laughs> abstain from every form of evil. I suppose no time in the history of the world has evil been so readily available for anyone who chooses to want to do it. And it's there to tempt us as well. And our culture even has a difficult time defining what evil is. Because the things that we consider evil, they consider good sometimes. The things we consider good, they consider evil. That's from the Bible, by the way, that that will happen. So what is, what is evil? We get down to this question of what is even evil? And we must determine this from God's word and our culture. Amen? <laughs> we, must, we must figure this out from what the word of God says is evil and not our culture. Because the culture says basically anymore, nothing is evil except maybe to be a Christian and be intolerant as a Christian. Right? That's, that's what our world has come down to. It's not evil to loot. It's not evil to steal. It's not evil to covet someone else's wealth. It's not evil to murder if you're justified in doing it. It's not evil to abort little babies. You know, so many things. We must go back to the Word of God and, and what it means. And it's, it's so relevant to our day because there's... Uh, just real quickly, there's all this controversy over a Supreme Court justice pick. And what is the essence of a good judge? <laughs> there's, two, there's two different opinions. What, is, what, is good, what, is, what makes a good Supreme Court justice? And one side says, well, it's someone that considers the Constitution a living document that changes in its meaning and you, it's all based upon today's culture. And so decisions that were made many, many years ago may not be true today. That's not my view of a good Supreme Court justice, by the way. And it comes from the Bible and how we treat the Bible. A good Supreme Court justice is one who goes and reads the Constitution and who interprets it based upon what the original authors meant for it to say. And that's just like the Bible. That's just how we inter interpret the Bible. What if we interpreted the Bible the other way, that it changed with culture, that salvation somehow was this way 500 years ago, but it's a different way now. It would be disastrous for the Christian faith and it just would not be true. When we study the Bible or whether we study the Constitution, we go back to the original meaning as it was written by the authors for their intended audience. The trouble with that is it makes it hard for us sometimes to learn and understand the Bible and to know what is evil. But we need to do that. We need to abstain from every form of evil. We have to identify that from the Bible as the Bible calls it evil. And as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, we interpret the Bible 
and we turn away from ungodly things so that the spirit in your life will not be quenched. Sin in a person's life will quench the Holy Spirit. So we, we know what scripture is. We abstain from every form of evil and we do not become dull to hear the spirit in our life. I wrote down here, don't, don't be a bucket of water but a pile of dry kindling, right? Don't be a bucket of water that when you come into contact with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is dampened or quenched or grieved is another word for it. But be like a pile of dry kindling that when the Holy Spirit touches you, you burst into flame itself, right? That's the way that we are should to be. Ultimately, we go back to the scripture, we must trust in God's power to make us holy. That goes all the way back. Uh, to the verse that we read, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and whole body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a work that he does within, within us, but we surrender to his power, right? We surrender to the Holy Spirit. So as we close today, you know, I put down here some things that we should be thankful for. First of all, be thankful that in Christ the Father views you as a saint, a holy one, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, right? It's not because of our works. It's not about how good a lives we live, but it's how good of a life did he live. And he lived a perfect life. And he says that we are saints, even though we know there is still sin within us. Secondly, recognize, as God does, that we have a long way to go to live up to a position in Christ as holy ones. We have a long way to go. Even those of us who have been around for a while, we are not yet fully formed into the image of Christ. And so we acknowledge that we have a long way to go and we, we, uh, we spur one another on to be like Christ. Number three, commit yourself to search and study God's word so that you might know his ways and follow in holiness after him. Just basically read your Bible do what it says, your life is going to change. And then finally, thank God that our sanctification will one day be complete and it will be by his power. Folks, we're, we're going to make it to perfection, right? <laughs> it's when we see the Lord Jesus Christ. When we see him, we'll look at his face, we will be as he is. Until then, we struggle against sin and we pray that God would sanctify us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this time that we've had uh, together in the Word. Thank you for everyone's attentive uh, listening. And we pray now that your Holy Spirit would do your work. And we pray that you would show us individually where we need to go next. What areas of our life do we need to surrender to you? We pray also for those who are here today who may not know Christ, we want to invite them to understand that Jesus has died for sin in such a way that those who believe and trust in him can be forgiven of their sins and have eternal life. And today might be the day when you surrender your life to Christ. And if you don't know him, it should be today. Don't put that off, but give your life to Christ today. It's a decision that you will never regret. And you will have a relationship with God and will have eternal life in heaven with him. Lead and guide us the way that we should go now 
And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.